Though our topic is about spiritualizing family life, all the principles regarding relationships apply to every relationship we have. This is a vast topic, and today we're only going to be covering a few of the key points. The first one is having God in our lives. Many people are concerned about the state of the world, and parents want to have their children anchored in a spiritual foundation. They want them to have a relationship with God. And the most natural way that this happens is if the parents or the grandparents, whoever's raising the children, have their own meaningful relationship with God that is in their daily life. Because children absorb what they see you do. Not so much what you say, but what you're doing. Years ago, SRF held a program for youth up in the mountains, and I was at the registration area once when the girls and their parents were arriving for the girls' week. And these two cars pulled up, and a whole group of people came out of the cars. And there was one little girl, 10-year-old girl, and her father, her mother, her brother, her aunt and uncle, and her cousins had all come to drop her off for the program. It was a very tight-knit family. And the girl had never been away from home before. And so she went over to the registration area and she started to sign in. And then you could see she was starting to get a little upset and cry a little bit because she realized her family was going to leave. And I pulled the father aside to speak with him for a couple of minutes because I wasn't sure it was going to work. And he just said, oh, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. And I wasn't convinced, but they all got back in the cars and drove away. And then the little girl really started to cry. And the group leader came that was for her cabin and took her to the cabin where the other girls in her group were. And they started doing icebreakers and games to get them all feeling comfortable with each other, get to know each other and laugh and have fun. But it didn't work with this little girl. She was still uh, uh, upset. And so after supper, I talked with the group leader and she said, oh, you know, she's really, she's not integrating. And I said, well, let's see how it goes in the morning. And so after breakfast, I spoke with her again and she said, you know, she's really not eating much and she just really wants to go. And I thought, well, we may have to call the parents to come and pick her up. And then I figured, well, let me talk with her first. And so this little girl and I sat down and after we talked for a few minutes, she said, I don't know why Guruji did this to me. And then we talked for a couple more minutes and she brought up, Guruji shouldn't have had my family leave me here. And I realized that this little girl had a relationship with Paramahansaji. And so I told her, I'll be right back. And I went to my room and I came back and I said, you know, Guruji made a lot of preparations for you to be able to enjoy this week. And she said, he did? And I said, yes. And he was really looking forward to spending all this time with you and doing all the activities and being in the classes together. She said, he was? And I said, yes, he would be really disappointed if you left. He would? And then I gave her 
It's a little laminated picture, just like this one. And she took it in her hands. She cupped her hands, and she just held it with such reverence and devotion. And I said, keep the picture. It'll be a reminder for you that he's with you, not just this week, but all the time. And it was like it was a different girl. Every time I went by the group, I saw she was engaged, she was having a good time, she was interacting with the other girls. And the group leader said that she carried the picture with her everywhere. And at night, she had it right next to her bed. Now, when you think of it, why did this little girl have such a meaningful relationship with her guru? Because her parents have a meaningful relationship with Paramahansaji. He was part of their daily life. The parents didn't make her go to Sunday school or make her meditate, but it was a real part of their life. And so she developed her own relationship with Paramahansaji, and she wanted to meditate. She wanted to go to Sunday school because she wanted to be with him. Dayamata said, the enthusiasm, the joy, is always there no matter what I am doing. This is the consciousness that unfolds within you when there is a sense that God is with you. The secret is to keep the mind fixed in God, in the thought that you are doing it for Him. In that consciousness, there is nothing too difficult nor too menial for you to do. You enjoy life. You enjoy living. I remember Diamanta saying that children should not be forced to pray, to meditate, to go to Sunday school, because it can turn into a dislike. It can be, I have to do this. But if they see their parents praying, they see their parents meditating and turning to God with trust, asking for his guidance in their lives. And they see their parents becoming calmer, more understanding, more patient. That's real to the kids. That's tangible. I remember one mother telling me that her eight-year-old daughter had been going to Sunday school and had learned to meditate there. And she told her daughter, you are welcome to join me whenever I'm meditating. And she said often her daughter will come in and quietly sit down next to her, stay for a few minutes, and then she'll just get up and leave. And other times they will do a simple affirmation together. And she said that as time had gone on, her daughter was starting to join her for longer and longer periods. Now, for children who have no experience meditating or praying, you can teach them to pray in a very beautiful way. It's talking to God, for them to share their thoughts with God, how they feel, what they're concerned about, what their fears are. It starts to develop this communication and for them to be able to have their own relationship with God. The next point is how do we treat one another. As the adults, we set the tone by treating your spouse with respect, 
with kindness, love, it creates peace and harmony in the home. And it also teaches the children how to behave. There was a couple who shared with me that early in their marriage, they went through a very difficult period, and they almost divorced. And they said, when they first got married, they, everything was fine, they were really happy, things were going well. But after a few years, they started to argue. And then they began arguing more and more until they got to the point where they were arguing all the time. And they decided they should probably separate. But before they did that, they went for marriage counseling. And the marriage counselor, after he spoke with them for a little while, he told them about a seminar that had been held for couples who wanted to improve their relationship with each other. And during the seminar, they had all the couples in this large room, and they asked them, what are some things you do not like to hear from your spouse? And so different individuals were mentioning things, and they came up with a list. And a few of the comments on that list were, what's wrong with you? I told you so. There you go again. You never listen to me. Next, the group were asked, what are things you like to hear from your spouse? And again, different uh, members in the group shared their comments, and they came up with a list of those. And a few of the comments on that list were, I love you. Thank you for being my best friend. Can I help you? I love to see you smile. I'm listening. I want to understand how you feel. Now, the marriage counselor said that after that seminar, almost all the couples who had attended it found their marriages improve greatly. And then he took a copy of each one of those lists and he gave a copy to the wife and a copy to the husband. And he said, for the next week, I want you to keep track of what you say to your spouse. Not what your spouse says to you, but what you say to your spouse. And I want you to mark it on which list it belongs. And so they went home and they both thought, well, the other one's the problem and that will become clear. But within a couple of days, their perspective changed because they saw that all the comments they were making belonged on the list of things that no one wants to hear. And it had quite an impact on them because they realized they were both contributing to the problem. And they started to talk about how did we arrive here? And they realized that in the beginning of their marriage, they were attentive to one another. They were thoughtful. They were wanting to do things that made the other one happy. And then little by little, they started to take both the marriage and their spouse for granted. And they started not listening as much. They started focusing more on what they wanted. And they started to make demands on each other. 
And then that's where the arguing began. And they said, this exercise helped to change our lives. Our marriage and love for each other became deeper than ever and has continued to do so over the past 30 years. Small things, like saying something kind, add up and can make a big impact. We may wonder sometimes, what do the children actually absorb? And there was a group of four to eight-year-olds that were asked, what does love mean? And I'd like to share a few of their answers. One eight-year-old said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time. Even when his hands got arthritis too, that's love. Another eight-year-old said, you really shouldn't say, I love you, unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. You know, that feeding into that relationship. A four-year-old said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. Now, another point is about morals and values. Children absorb the attitudes, the morals, the values of their parents because you are the biggest influence in their life. You may not always feel that way, but you are. Even with teens, there was a study done where they asked a large group of teens, who is the biggest influence in your life? And over 75% of them said their parents. By striving to live a life of integrity, by being a strong moral example, you give your kids one of the most important things they need to see. You also bring happiness to yourself and your family. Paramahansaji said, whatever you want others to be, first be that yourself. Then you will find others responding in like manner to you. It's easier to want others to change than to work on ourselves. So the next point, parents need to be engaged in their children's lives. This is vital. They need your time. They need your attention. They need you. Many people work longer hours, even weekends, and we have the smartphones and the computers in the home. So always within reach is work, social media, just going online. It can become a habit, and we may not even realize how much we're doing it. But we want to make a habit of connecting with the kids. Kids want to be heard. They want to be understood. And it takes time to listen to what's important to them and why. What it is that they're struggling with and why to enter into their world and not to expect them to reach into your world. Because then you're really communicating with them. 
and they will be comfortable with coming to you about whatever's on their mind. You want that kind of relationship with them. And also, not to have it be where mostly what you're telling them is, did you take out the garbage? Have you done your homework yet? You know, things that are correcting them. Recognize when they do something well. Encourage and support their efforts in what they're doing. They want your approval. There was a family where there were three children. The youngest was a little girl with special needs. And so, of course, she required more attention. And both parents worked, and the mother worked from home. And because of the youngest daughter needing more help, she often got behind with her work. And one afternoon, it was really quiet, and she thought, I can catch up with some of what I need to do. And so she had just sat down at her desk and pulled out some papers when her 13-year-old daughter walked in and said, Mom, can we talk? And this woman really wanted to get to her work, but she put the papers down, she got up from her desk, and she went over and sat down with her daughter. And she said she really sat with her. She put everything else out of her mind. She said, I wasn't aware of how many times she had been set aside because of her sister's needs, or my work, or her father being too tired or busy, until that day when I sat down with her and told myself, your daughter needs you to listen to her. Really listen. It was a turning point in our relationship. From then on, Whenever she needed me, I made myself available no matter what. Now, that was a powerful message that that mother gave her daughter. A message that you matter to me, you count, you're important to me. That develops self-esteem, a sense of self-worth in the children. Diamanta said, Master said of me, She's a peacemaker. That started in my childhood with my mother's training. We always had dialogue with her. She took the time to explain things to us, and I never felt that I had to hide anything from her. All parents should try to create such an atmosphere of trust so that their children naturally come to them for help when in need. You want to be the ones that your children come to when they need something, not someone else. Next point, boundaries. It's important for children and teens to have boundaries that are appropriate for their age. And once you've determined what those boundaries are, you want to keep to them. Kids will push up against them because they want to see if they'll really hold up. And boundaries, they provide security. It allows the children to learn and grow safely within those boundaries. Also, it lets the kids know that they are loved, that their parents care enough about them to protect them. I remember years ago, Brother Nandamoy told a story about 
a teen girl who had gone to her mother and asked her if she could attend a party. And the mother wanted to show that she was okay with what her teen wanted to do, and she told her, yes, she could go to the party. And later on, the girl cried, and she told her mother, I wanted you to say no. Boundaries, they need them. And kids need you to be the parent to create those boundaries. Last point, simplify your life. How do we find the time for meditation, for spiritual study, for being engaged in your children's life, for spending time with a family? Paramahansaji said, Western life is so full of complexities. You have no time to enjoy anything. But if you examine your life, you will find there are lots of ways that you can simplify without feeling deprived. Realize the folly of desiring more and more. Don't be enslaved by temptation to live beyond your means. Now when you think of it, Paramahansaji said this decades ago, and look at how it applies in today's world. When you first got that iPhone 11 and you were so excited and it was great, but now, oh, it's old. You should have the iPhone 13 Pro Max until, of course, the next one comes out. Paramahansaji said, lessen your material burdens. There are increasingly more things, more choices, but we're not meant to do and have everything. We should be selective. What is it that I really want in my life? How do I want to live my life? Not let the world decide for us. How do I want to live my life? And then let the rest go. When we simplify our lives, it's much easier to feel God and Guru. It's much easier to meditate, to want to meditate, because we're at peace inside. It's difficult to meditate when we are feeling stressed, restless, rushing around, feeling we have too much to do. There was an 11-year-old girl who asked for counseling with me. And as soon as we started talking, it just all came out at once. She said, I'm so stressed with my life. I feel so overwhelmed. I don't have enough time for everything I need to do. And she took, helped take care of her younger siblings at home. She was singing in the choir at her school. She was on the school band. And she was the captain of her soccer team for the past two years. And she said, and I don't even like playing anymore. And I said, well, why don't you quit? And she just looked so startled. And she said, that wouldn't look good on my college application. And I thought about how playing a sport, an instrument, playing games, these are meant to provide fun, relaxation, playing with other children. And somewhere along the line, they became other things to achieve, to excel at. We must win. We must be at the top. And yet, kids need outlets to be kids. 
They need to just play for the sake of playing. They need to be exposed to wholesome, wholesome ways to relax. Getting out in nature. Where are they going to be able to learn that? From you. You are the biggest influence in their life. When we simplify our life, it becomes richer. Because we have time for God, for family, for doing things together, for enjoying nature, for relaxing, laughing, just connecting as a family. And don't worry about making mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. Your children will make mistakes in their lives. They'll get upset. Things won't go the way they should. And they learn valuable lessons from seeing what you do when you make a mistake. Do you apologize? Do you try to make amends? Do you try to change yourself? This is valuable for them to see. Always remember that God understands you. He's a parent, too, of all of us. And he is the most attentive, caring, protective, loving parent that there could be. Ask him for his help. He's always listening and responding. He wants the highest and the best for you. Let him help you. I love this particular quote. Remember one thing. God loves you very much. Dwell on that. Affirm it to yourself. Now, let's take a few minutes to close our eyes and pray for all those who are in need of prayer and for greater peace and harmony in the world. Paramahansaji taught us a healing technique where we can send out healing energy for body, mind, and soul to those who are in need and to send peace into the world. And there's three different phases to this where where we rub our hands together, we're collecting that energy in our hands, and then 
We lift our hands about the height of our forehead and keep our arms relaxed. And then we slowly lower them as we chant Om. And then the second part, we are rotating our hands. And the more we rotate them, we can feel that energy collecting between them. And again, we raise them and then gradually lower them as we chant Om. In the third part, we go back to rubbing our hands together. And then lastly, we lift our hands and we keep them up, up raised as we chant Om, sending out healing vibrations to the world. So let's practice this together. Heavenly Father, Thou art omnipresent. Thou art in all Thy children. Manifest Thy healing presence in their bodies. Heavenly Father, Thou art omnipresent. Thou art in all Thy children. Manifest Thy healing presence in their minds. Heavenly Father, Thou art omnipresent. Thou art in all Thy children. Manifest Thy healing presence in their souls. Let us chant, sending healing vibrations of peace and harmony throughout the world. Om. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Mother, Friend, Beloved God, Jesus Christ, Bhagavan Krishna, Mahavatar Babaji, Lahiri Mahashai, Swami Sri Uteshwar, our Guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, Saints of all religions, we bow to you all. Beloved God, peace unto myself, peace unto my family, peace unto my community, peace unto my nation, peace unto my world. Om, peace, amen.
Remember one thing, God loves you very much. Dwell on that. Affirm it to yourself.